The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information on our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Morning, everyone. It's good to see you. And Justin, we flipped scripts, huh? You prayed and and I preach, usually me praying and you preaching. Let me set my timer so my wife can, don't have to give me a signal. <laughs> uh, it is good to break bread with the believers. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 to 7, what Caitlin read for us. You see... Uh, as we get into this text, uh, what we're looking at is one of the first churches in Europe that Paul was able to plant by the power of the Holy Spirit in Philippi. But before we get into the text, I must tell you a story. See, you see that tall one that's almost taller than me? One time she was small, one time. And when she was around four years old, if you can believe it, she's never been able to sit still. But uh, I placed her on the bed, and I asked her to jump to me, figuring that since she's hyper, she would just jump right in my arms. She didn't. She looked at me. She looked at the ground. She looked at the ground. She looked at me, and she's like, why did you place me in this predicament? Do you love me? Why have you placed me in a spot that's going to require me to risk my life to have fun? But see, what she failed to realize, as parents, I was the first one to hold her. Yes, my wife gave birth to her, 21 hours of sheer agony and pain that she owes my wife at one time. (laughs) But I cut the umbilical cord. I picked her up. I carried her to my wife so she could see our beautiful daughter. And what she failed to remember in this time when she felt like I put her in a predicament was I had never dropped her. I have been successfully able to catch her every time she had come to me. When she ran and jumped in my arms, even though I knelt down to pick her and to hold her, I still caught her. So when I placed her on the bed, I was placing her in unfamiliar territory, but I was still asking her to do the same thing. I was asking her to trust me that I would catch her. See, what we fail to realize as believers is that God has been catching us from day one. Even before we were, even when we were unbelievers, God was catching you. Even when you were in your sins, God was showing mercy to you. That's his form of catching you because he wants you with him and he knows he can give you the best life there is to live. But it requires you to trust him. And to trust God always means jumping from this circumstance into his arms, from that circumstance to his arms, from jumping, being put in sickness and jumping in his arms, being placed in unemployment, jumping into his arms, going through a divorce and jumping into his arms, Trusting Christ as your Lord and Savior, yet you've never seen him, requires you to jump into his arms. 
It requires you to believe that the Word of God is true, that God is faithful to His Word and He cannot lie. So in this text where Paul is just bluntly saying, do not be anxious, but by prayer, with supplication and thanksgiving, let your request be made unto God, and the peace of God shall guard, garrison your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Christ is, Paul is saying to the church of Philippi, don't start now. Don't start now. Remember how this church got started. See, the church got started when Paul went to Philippi. He was preaching the gospel, and this uh, little girl who was a slave was demonically possessed, and she was a fortune teller. So she was going around behind God's servants, telling people who were listening to them, believe in these people because they are the servants of the Most High God. She was taking opportunity of the truth, not for a person to be saved, but to get creditation for herself. The demonic spirit was trying to use truth to sway people, and the enemy always does, still does that. But Paul got grieved in his spirit and silenced the demon, cast the demonic spirit out the girl. And the man who owned the girl got angry and called a magistrate and said, these people are swaying us from our rules, our laws, and they beat Paul and they throw him in jail. Now, when we think jail, we think he got three meals a day, and he had a bed and a cotton. No, Paul was shackled up, leads and everything stretched to the father's extreme. Paul had been beaten, and now Paul is in agony for only being a servant who followed the Holy Spirit guidance in a dream to come to Philippi. He had jumped. He had obeyed God and jumped and said, I'm going to Macedonia. And I got to ask you before we get further in the text, what is God asking you to jump, to do as a believer? Are you unsaved and God is asking you to jump and be saved? Are you are saved and God is asking you to jump in regards to trusting your finances in his hands? Are you saved and you're scared of the, of the economic uh, situation we have today and God is just asking you to trust me, jump into my arms I alone am able to catch you, and I will never drop you. But Paul, in this circumstance, is praying. He's lifting up the name of God. In a, in a time of pain, he's praising. That's why Paul, when he's writing his book, can say to them, just stop it. Stop being anxious. I told you from the beginning, our way to glory is a hard way to go. It, it comes through many trials and many tribulations. If you're going to play the game, you're going to get dirty. Has anyone ever played football and came home with a, a clean jersey? You realize they weren't really, they, if they were on the team, they were on the bench. God wants people on his team and he doesn't want bench players. He doesn't have, he does not, check this out, he doesn't have a bench for you to sit on. You must be engaged in the game. You must get dirty. God is calling you to be active in your Christian faith. God is calling you to declare whose you are and in whom you are and not to be ashamed of it. Now, the consequences of that is that the enemy is going to fire arrows at you. He's going to try to shut your mouth. He's going to try to de uh, deter you, scare you, 
keep you quiet, either through persecution or persuasion. But he's going to try to stop you, and you must realize that. You must be wise to the arrows in the game of the evil one. But the best way to counteract fear is to start praising God. It's to start praying. It's to start getting in his word. So that's what Paul did. Paul started praying. Paul and started, Silas started lifting up the name of the Lord. And at that moment, at midnight, and it's, it's, it's amazing, God has a way of painting pictures either through telling you what time of day it is or what circumstances. And he says at midnight, which means it was the darkest time in Paul's physical and maybe even emotional life. And he said at midnight, God came and opened the doors, showing authority over the circumstance. So you got to realize whatever you're facing, God is still in control. I was, uh, had got a new job and was here in San Antonio, and I knew the job, knew how to do the job, but the pace of the job was kind of quick for me, and the responsibility was all on my shoulders, and I'll be honest with you, I was anxious, I was nervous, and God knew how to take an unsuspected person and speak truth to me at that very moment. And what he said is what I'm going to say to you, because I don't know what you're dealing with, but I guarantee you're dealing with something that, for all of us, we are control maniacs. We ha have to feel like we're in control. We're in control of our finances. We're in control of our spouse. We're in control of our kids. We're in control of when we have bad days and good days. We, we have to feel like we're in control. You're not. But back to what the gentleman said to me. He said, is God still on the throne? And that stopped me in my tracks. And I was like, Herbert, you gotta stop tripping. You know God gave you this job. And God is still on the throne. So you gotta take your cares and concerns, which are legitimate, take your fears, give them to someone and you take what he wants to give you. And what God wants to give you is peace. God doesn't want you to live in fear. God doesn't want you to be afraid. He would be a bad shepherd if he wanted you to be in fear or afraid. And the Bible tells me he's a good shepherd. And a good shepherd knows how to take care of a sheep. The good shepherd knows how each of his sheep are doing and what he needs to do to get that sheep to get closer to him. So when God, in his sovereign will, put you on the bed of your sickness, the bed of an uncertain uh, savings account that doesn't look right, doesn't smell right, a bed of your marriage bed isn't as happy as it once was or could be, you got to trust him. You have got to trust him. And it requires us to get in his word. It is requiring us to remember who God is. See, the great way to remember who God is, I believe the Psalms are there for a purpose. The book of Psalms knows how to bring you back to ground zero. 
give you solid footing on who God is. See, um, many of you might know that Amanda was once in a hospital for wanting to commit suicide. Yes, that beautiful daughter right there. Because of bullying, she lost all aspect of the value of who she is. And the only thing I could get her to see was Psalms 23. And I had her say it to me, and I said it to her. Why was I doing that? Because it is the Word of God that is going to get, grasp my daughter's heart and give her back her identity. You are who you are because God created you to be that person. Whether you're male, female, black, or white, God created you for his glory. And God knows what it takes and what's in you and what he wants to get out of you. So when Paul, I'm still working on don't be anxious because we perceive that we're not what we are. We're sheep. Sheep has no defense mechanisms. The other thing about sheep, they're dumb. <laughs> so when you start acting like a sheep, get in the Psalms. So right now, we're going to look at Psalms 34, and we're going to read it together. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their face shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried. <laughs> this poor man cried. And the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamped around those who fear him and delivered them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Do you not see God has your back? If you want to break that, that psalm down into one line, God has your back. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God had our back. How did he have our back, preacher? Well, God made him who knew no sin to become sin, that the righteousness, his righteousness will become our righteousness. God had your back. God demonstrated his love toward us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. God had your back. All we as sheep have gone astray. But God laid on him the iniquities of us all. God had your back. 
So when you, when God, now that you're saved and sealed by God's Holy Spirit, God is challenging you to jump because God has a work for you because God wants to tell other people he has their back through you. So don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of your testimony, whether it is what we would call a lily white Christian testimony or you were over here with me like a prodigal son testimony. You have a testimony. And that testimony ultimately comes to the cross that God convicted you that you were a sinner and you needed a Savior. And that Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't care what spectrum of the realm you are on, whether you're a sin by nature or you're a sin person that sinned, that you nurtured sin, still you came to the cross. And it is the blood of the righteous one that has saved us. And that's what the world needs to hear. And that's what Satan doesn't want you to share. We have one story and one story all. We are a one-trick pony like we talked about in our community group. It is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So in that moment when the Holy Spirit says, talk to this person, you go, what? Share your story. Now? Yes. Oh, the enemy is going to come. You're going to say, you don't know enough. It's not true. You know enough. You know what it took for you to be saved. You know that you believed in Yahweh becoming flesh and dwelling born of a virgin, being looking like us but not like us, being a humble servant unto his Father, even unto the death, the death of the cross. You know that on the third day, he raised himself from the dead because God the Father gave him the authority to do so. You know enough. So in that moment, when God is saying, jump, show the world you my servant and that you love me and that I have caught you every time you jump, jump. Because God got your back. It's not up to you to save him. It's just up to you to tell who saved you. God does the saving. God does the saving. So, another thing, when you come to God and you're honest about you being scared, because we get scared, but we got to ask God in this moment. The Bible says, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. He knows you're scared, but he has given you the Holy Spirit. And it is by the Holy Spirit. At that very moment you begin to speak, the Holy Spirit will give you what you need to say. So don't preordain to think what you're going to say. Speaking as a preacher, I wrote out my sermon been working on it, read commentaries, and this morning, God said, I'm changing it. And I was like, whoa, that was my crutch. Now, I want you to read these scriptures instead of those scriptures. Give him the right when you open your mouth 
to teach you new stuff about how he's going to work through you and show you how awesome he is when you do speak. Show you how awesome he is when you do speak. Let me give you an example. I was in Zimbabwe. I had never been. This was my second missionary trip, and I was like, God, I know you the same. How come I don't see miracles? How come I haven't seen, like, what goes on in Acts? So this one day, we were in Zimbabwe, and the camp, I can't give you all the details, but some of the details. The camp had to close down, so some of the people were outside of the camp. So we went outside of the camp. And while we were preaching to this one group about the goodness of God and trying to make the gospel simple yet being concrete, and we were asking people what were their needs, and some of the people had came there, one guy had glaucoma, so he couldn't see, he could barely see. In fact, he was pretty much blind. So for me, I was like, they said, Make sure when you talk to people, because they'll say that they're healed when they're not healed because you are Americans and they just want to make you happy. So for this one time, I was like, because I had a translator, I was like, have him say the number that's on your card. And he was like, I can't see his number. And I was like, whoa, he is blind. And at that very moment, the Holy Spirit says, I want you, he placed a scripture on my heart. And he, the uh, scripture was when Jesus sped in the dirt and put the mud on the blind man's eyes in John chapter 10, God is like, I want you to wipe sand on his eyes. What? So at that moment, God was asking me to jump because I was testifying about this Jesus, that he loves you. He's the creator of the universe. But if we stay on the bed, that he has all power, we would never see the power that we preach about. We would never see the power that we talk about. So when we put the sin on the guy's eyes, first we asked him. We didn't do without asking. God worked. God worked. So I asked the man again, What's the number on the card? My translated card. He told me the number. Not only did it blow his mind, it blew my mind. To see God do what I had longed for him to do, wanting to see he's still able. I'm here today telling you, church, God still able to do miracles. But we got to be willing to drunk. We got to be willing to take the offense for being a Christian. Jesus says, if they hate you, they really are hating me. And they're hating the one who sent me. So what I'm trying to tell you is really not about us. It's really not about you. It's really not about me. It's really about them being trapped by the evil one and being dead and being an enemy of God. But God loves them and wants them to know the truth. 
and he would go to the nth degree for them to know the truth. Are you willing to go to the nth degree for, for them to know the truth? How willing are you to put your life on the line for the gospel? Because that's what God is asking us to do. God is asking us to put our lives on the line for the gospel. It's not works, but it's our faith being demonstrated by the things we do for the one we love. Are you willing to put your life on the line for the gospel? Do you believe the truth of the gospel that much to put your life on the line? Because that's really why Paul is telling them not to be anxious. You got to be willing to put your life on the line for the gospel. I was reading a book by atheists intentionally in public to see who would confront me or who would challenge me because I wanted them to perceive, are you, are you searching for the truth or are you an atheist just wanting to build up what you perceive as being truth, which really is false. The first time I read the book, my wife was almost about to kick me out of the bed. She was like, do we need counseling? I was like, no, babe. I just want to know what atheists think so I know how to talk to them when I talk to an atheist. So I was on a plane, and I picked the book up so he could read the title. And it said, God, the fail hypothesis. So the person turned, and he did a double take. And I was like, he's going to say something. And he started talking. And guys, I reeled him in. I'll be honest. I acted like I wasn't saved. I was like, really? I don't know. I'm just trying to see what this is all about. He started. He started. He was about to start his approach and get revved up. I could see him praying and everything in the back of his head. Why did he start talking? I was like, well, you really get started. I'm a Christian. I'm sorry. <laughs> He's like, I'm about to tell you the gospel. <laughs> That's how we have to be. We need to be people who are praying for an opportunity each and every day. And this is self-conviction upon myself. God, who do you want me to talk to? Because I believe you're going to place me in a predicament where the gospel needs to be heard. As I told you before, God doesn't have bench warmers. So if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you plan and you're not dirty, you need to be dirty. You need to get dirty. You need to get gritty. You need to get your hands to the plow. And you need to pray for your brothers and sisters in this room and in this, on this earth who are putting their hands to the plow, who are losing their lives for the gospel in Iraq, losing their lives, Iran, losing their lives, in China, losing their lives, North Korea, losing their lives for the gospel. We cannot sit on the sidelines as Christians in America and perceive, I'm not going to say anything. You're not playing if you're not saying anything. You're not playing if you're not praying for them. You're not playing if you're being quiet about who you are in Christ. You're not playing the game. And you're cheating yourself out of rewards 
that when you see Jesus, I don't want to be empty-handed. I don't want to be empty-handed when I see Jesus. When I see the only marks that he has is because of me. I don't want to be empty-handed when I see Jesus. His nail-pierced hands and his nail-pierced feet and the scars of the thorns on his head. I don't want to be empty-handed when I see Jesus because he is the only one worthy to take the scroll out of the Father's hands. And the Bible says, worthy is the Lamb to receive power, glory, majesty, and honor. Worthy is the Lamb. I don't want to be naked when I see Jesus and not have something to place before his feet. You should not want to be naked in a sense of not doing the work that the Holy Spirit wants to do through your life when you see Jesus. And if you're afraid of dying, ask him to help you. Ask somebody to pray for you. I got to get over this fear of being castigated or being persecuted because worthy is the lamb. He's good enough for your light affliction. Paul calls it a light affliction. That's why he says again, stop it. Stop it because the king is worthy. Stop it. He who has apprehended my heart when I, was thought, think, uh, when I thought I was righteous in being a Pharisee, he showed me that I wasn't. And he has given me the righteousness of Christ. And he has saved me. Stop it. So I say to you, as a servant of the Most High God, stop it. The Lamb is worthy. The Lamb is worthy. And you're not jumping alone. You're not by yourself. He's giving you the Holy Spirit. And when you do jump, when you do take that opportunity to share the gospel, It's better than fried chicken, greens, and cornbread. After I came back from that Zimbabwe trip, I scared the mess out of my wife. Because all she saw was the exuberance of every day God using me to preach the gospel. Muslims coming to Christ. Jews coming to Christ. Just Gentiles coming to Christ, seeing miracles, praying over people, seeing people being healed. Yes, I did pray, and I didn't see people being healed at that one time. But the greatest healing is not the physical healing. It's the spiritual healing. When we saw people come to Christ, she was like, are we moving to Zimbabwe? I said, like, no, babe, I know you don't want to move to Zimbabwe. So God's just got to use me here to share the gospel, to help people see that they are loved, that they are really valued by their creator, that they are fearfully and wonderfully made. They're made in the image of God, the Imago Dei. You are the Imago Dei, the image of the invisible God.
You are unique among all his creation. So I'm saying to you today, don't be scared to jump. You're not doing this alone. And how you're doing this is by his Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you a story as I go to my seat. There is a man named Dick Hoyt. He has a son by the name of Rick Hoyt. I'm going to tell it to you backwards because if I tell it to you forward, you'll know I'm landing a plane, but you'll know already. Dick Hort could run a marathon all by himself. He doesn't need his son, but he does it with his son. See, Rick Hort is a quadriplegic. Dick Hort does the marathon for his son, that his son might experience the joys of life. I'm saying to you today, if you're a Christian with a clean jersey, God, the Holy Spirit, wants you to, he wants to put you in the chair of his will, and he wants to push you through life and guide you to your purpose and to the plan for your life. It, see, what you don't realize, Rick is just riding, and he's enjoying the scene. He doesn't have to worry about the terrain. Dick does the work. You don't do the work. We don't do the work. God does the work. God ministers to people through you. We just got to be willing to jump. We just got to be willing to speak. We just got to be willing to not be ashamed of God's son. Can I get a couple of people in this audience that are not ashamed of God's son. May God bless you. And may God keep you. And may God's face shine upon you and be gracious to you.